So you wanna watch a movie but you don't know which Choosing the one can be a bitch But Jared and Drew have perfected the art So sit back, relax, and trust the dark It's dark What's going on, everyone? I am Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the movie podcast where we put 20 movies up on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. What's going on, Jared? How's your night going? Oh, it's going great, dude. Good to see you. How you doing tonight? Good. We're recording here on our regular Wednesday night. Back in the saddle. Back in the saddle. We've got kind of, I don't know, I would say an interesting one tonight too. This is the first of what we would call a shamer series. Mm. We've drew and I each picked a movie that we were just embarrassed to admit that we hadn't seen. And normally we start these episodes with a question of like, Oh, what, how did this movie get on your radar? You know, like how, how did you, how did you think to put this on the board? But this one being ET fucking ET is a super famous movie. Excuse me, excuse me. That would be E.T., the extraterrestrial, my friend. Is that full name? E.T., the extraterrestrial? Yeah. Yeah, let's make use, sure everyone use knows we're talking. Use the form. We're talking about the right. We don't want to get them confused. This is not the uh, the other E.T. So I'm going to ask you this, Drew, instead of how did this get on the, on your radar? I want to ask you this. How did you miss this movie? And I should say, too, for whatever crazy reason, I have also missed this. So I can answer the question, too. But I want to ask you, well, how, you did, sh- how did you miss this? Well, we should start by saying, I mean, in a lot of ways, this is both of our weeks because we're just we're, we're both coming to this fresh. This is both of our shamer. But um, it went on my list because, yeah, I I, I don't know how I missed this fucking thing. <laughs> uh, I had my mom in town for the last few days because my dog just had surgery on her ACL uh, and she is out of commission. She's a 70 pound dog and I needed some help for this first week. Regardless, uh, while she was in town, I asked her, why did you not show this movie to me when I was a child? <laughs> because I had already watched it by the time she got to town. And she was like, you know, I don't know. She claims that at the time she was kind of in a Disney fixation because she had mm. grown up on a lot of, you know, like she was showing me some of these classic Disney <laughs> live action movies that people don't really talk about anymore because they're so fucking racist and like out of touch <laughs> with with current times. Like she was showing she was she brought up um, <laughs> one that she used to show me called the. Uh, the ugly dachshund, which had probably the most racist Asian caricature of all time on screen. And, uh, and she brought it up and she was like, I'm so sorry that I showed you that. That was so racist. <laughs> she, <laughs> she said was, that this weekend. She felt so bad. <laughs> like as soon as I brought up ET, this triggered some shame within my mother, which I, I feel really bad about. Should uh, we put that movie up on the board? That movie that your mom showed you? I think kid? Disney has, uh, as with song of the South wiped, that one from the uh, entire fabric of, of existence. <laughs> I bet your video drum has it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. If you find <laughs> the ugly dachshund at, yeah. at video drum, we are watching that fucking movie. Yeah. If, and then, I, if and you, then maybe, hold on, if you, if you have that at video drum, I am booking a ticket to Atlanta <laughs> just to watch that movie. That's a with plan, you. dude. I'm going there tomorrow. Once we figure out what we're watching next week, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask, text me the name so I don't forget. And I'm going to, uh, ask them if they have it. We're watching this movie and we'll just, we're not going to put it on the board, but we'll do a little preamble. We'll oh, rip man. it or something. That but could be that's a hilarious. sling blade interlude. Oh god, yeah, that could be a bonus episode. We're gonna talk about racism and bonus. Bonus. So anyway, no, so yeah, so I was talking to her about this. She she's you know divulging her shame of of not showing this to me. But I think it was I think it was a little bit of kind of our generation was in this weird period where like the people who saw ET as a kid weren't having kids yet, so. Or, or maybe they were just getting to like having kids age when we yeah. were born. Um, so like our parents weren't the generation that were experiencing this as a child, which is probably what just imprints this on, on people as like, I need to pass this down to my kids kind of thing. You know, yeah. like when I think about like, I, I personally don't want to have kids, but if I were to have kids, like 
what movies would I show those kids? I think about the movies that I watched as a kid. You know, I think mm-hmm. about Jurassic Park. I think for about, sure. Um, you know, uh, fucking Titanic. I guess I, I don't know. I'm not. I, that's a bad example. That's not a kids movie. But you get what I'm saying. Jurassic Park's a great example. That's like we the, grew up with Jurassic example. Park. Yeah, and it's like Independence I'm, Day. There you go. That's one. I'm actively excited to show my nephew when he gets old enough Jurassic Park. Like yeah. I, I'm like I'm like I told my sister I was like, do not please don't watch Jurassic Park without me in the room. Like I want probably be when he's seven is like ideal. Yeah, seven eight something like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I I love this point that you're making because as you as you referenced. Um, as we talked about, I also, this is a shamer for me. This is a shared shamer. And somehow I missed it too. And I, I mentioned it to my mom on the phone. I was like, yeah, we're watching E.T. this week. And she was like, what? E.T.? And I was like, yeah, it's so weird. Drew and I both haven't seen it. She was like, what? How did you not see that? And I'm thinking in my <laughs> head like. She's shaming you for not yeah, having well, watched she, it? It wasn't, a, it wasn't an aggressive finger wag. She was just shocked. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking in my head, like, I feel like it was kind of your responsibility to pass this on. <laughs> Um, but shit, I think Mom. I think you're I think you're exactly right. I think it has something to do with when we were born and how old our parents were when they saw it. And they probably didn't see it as a kid's movie. You know, in their mind, they saw it when they were however old they were. And um, I think that is what it is. I think we just kind of missed the boat and it wasn't passed down to us. I'd be I curious. Some, I mean, some of my friends definitely saw this when they were kids. So it wasn't like. It wasn't unheard of, but I like, I don't know. I feel like we caught this weird gap. Yeah. No, I think that's, well, I know speaking to my experience, I, I, I think that's exactly what happened for me too. And she was, I, it's just bizarre. And I also find it interesting that we didn't really go out of our way to track it down. Both you and I love Steven Spielberg and we know that this is regarded as a great movie. Well, look, I, 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 I think we should consider this podcast a safe space to be honest with each other. Sure. Yeah. I, I'll be completely honest. When I was a young, uh, piece of shit teenager and like young adult that thought of you is better than stuff like this. Like I think yeah, in some ways I probably looked at like the, Oh, it's a, it's a kid as the main character. Oh, and, mm-hmm. and it's a puppet. And, uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I think for me, it took me a while to like, I grew up a huge fan of the Muppets and Sesame Street, obviously, like as a really young kid. But like outside of that, I think puppets were always kind of a like a thing that didn't totally like connect with me as like I, I want to seek this out. Maybe I thought it was dorky or weird or something and I had some like built in insecurities about it. I don't know. But I think I avoid like subconsciously avoided stuff like this for a long time. And I'm so sad that I did because like watching this movie, it, it, it's like it, it's pure magic, man. Like it's like it's undeniable. And like, yeah. I'm, I'm sad that I'm, I'm sad for the years I missed out not having this movie in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked it a lot too. And it'll be exciting to kind of get into the conversation and see where we're at in terms of if, if we liked it at different levels, you yeah. know, but I think for me, I, and I may have mentioned this last week, but I've always had this feeling that it's going to be cheesy and I, I, I might share a little bit of, of your kind of uh, Muppet I don't want to say revulsion. That's a little bit too. No, strong. I love Muppets. I, but I, that's what yeah. I'm saying is that they were the exception for my. Opinion. Oh, I see what you. But I mean, you know, like the idea of a kid-led cast and like I felt for me that it was a movie that I just didn't need to see, and it was probably going to be cheesy. I felt like I knew the story beats just through culture, and it was like, well, what am I? You know, what am I? What I am I going to find the out other about part it? of it? Yeah, it's like yeah, I think I feel like it's one of those movies that we feel like we've seen even if we haven't just because it's in our lives as Americans and as movie fans, it's just something that's referenced really often. And I think that was something that stopped me from pursuing it on my own is I had this feeling like what is there to see? I know, I know the beats this movie hits. I know the, the wow moments heard the music. I've yeah. And, and here's another thing. I think me being such a fan of Steven Spielberg 
I've seen so many of his movies and I know his, his techniques and I know like, like it's ingrained in me on a, on a, like just a, a DNA level to, right. at this point from watching so much of his stuff. So I felt like I could kind of predict what I was going to see with this. And while that's true, I think like I could kind of like see like, like watching the movie, you see Spielberg, mm-hmm. but it still feels fresh at the yeah. same time. Like he's using all the same techniques. He's like hitting the same beats. He's doing his, he, like what he does. And, and so in that way, I was right to have that, that preconceived notion. What I was wrong about was that was assuming that it wouldn't still affect me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a cool way of putting it too. Um, Cause you're right. It is, it is a very heavy handed Spielberg movie. And I don't mean that in a negative way at all. It's I mean that everything Spielberg. It's it's very much his voice and very much his style. Lots of music, um, some really interesting shots. Just it's just his type of story and his type of storytelling. But you're right. Story it doesn't about divorce, it, kids, like you know, dealing with that, like de- the the connections between adults and children. Um, and the disconnect too. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. It, it's all the stuff that, that he touches on throughout his career. Um, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, I really, I really liked it too, quite a bit. And, uh, I, I wouldn't say I've like, I'm like loathing that I didn't find it for a while, but I, I liked it more than I thought I would. And I think it, we're kind of segueing into it organically, but something I wanted to, to chat about with you is the idea of like a movie like this, like, like that's got so much, I guess we could call it baggage. Like, like I was saying, we know, we know that the the bike flies across the moon. We know that ET gets back on the ship and leaves and they have a tearful goodbye. Um, we know he wants to phone home. He's got a glowing finger. Drew Barrymore screams a lot. Like we know these things. We've just seen these clips in our lives. Um, so we walk into this movie knowing that a lot of these things are going to happen. Right. And so we have this baggage. Do you think that baggage altered how you saw the movie? Like, did it, did it, I don't know. Did you think it, it, it did like changed anything? No, I, 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 and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because I, I wonder if you had a different experience than me, but for me, I, I like, I reverted to a kid watching this movie and mm. like, all the little touches that he was doing, um, you know, little movements of the puppet and like, just like little choices of how to communicate things non-verbally. Um, I was so blown away just at the filmmaking on display and, and Mm. like that it was working on me like effortlessly. Um, that everything that I knew and, and, and it's weird, like, you talk about like having these, these images in your head. And I totally had all of those same, same things like the, you know, the, the bike crossing the moon and the, you know, the spaceship and, you know, uh, the tearful goodbye and the smoke with Henry Thomas looking up at the, you know, the ship taking off and like all those images I, I had logged in my head from just years of pop culture inundation. But when you see them in context, they context, they mean so much more. Mm. Um, I think it's weird. Like all of those images made sense to me in a way that they hadn't before watching it for the first time. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I honestly had a feeling of jealousy when I was watching the movie <laughs> because I, I really, and you know, well, you're the, you're the, uh, the, the unsullied lifestyle. I mean, I'm extremely spoiler averse, especially if it's a movie that I think will, if I, if I anticipate it, it will impact me. But I was like, I was like, couldn't help shake the feeling this. Like, I wish I didn't know that the bike flew. Like, I wish I didn't know these things were coming. I agree with you that they still had a lot of punch and their punch and their success was a lot stronger when you saw it woven into the rhythm of the film yeah. and the rhythm of the energy. So that, that stuff takes well, it up it to where it something. should live. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I did, I did find it. Not annoying. That's not the right word, but it's like I wish I could see it with see, with clean eyes. That's interesting to me. I, I guess I when I approach these kind of things, I'm appreciating them on different levels. Mm-hmm. Where I see, you know, the image of the bike crossing the moon, 
obviously just on a pure aesthetic level, that's a beautiful image. Yeah, great shot. But and, and it's why he chooses it as like this symbol of his production company, company yeah. Amblin later, because mm. it's just it's the perfect image. Um, yeah. But you watch the you know you see that out of context, and you're just like, oh, that's that's beautiful. I I yeah. would like to see that. But then you see it in the movie. And, and it's this crescendo of like, you know, th- this character uh, 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 grabbing the reins of this story and like taking you there and like a bike just cascading down this hill, like at a speed. And he's like, whoa, like you're building, building, building. And then John Williams is going, and the bike crosses and you're like, and you're like, Oh my God. Like it's, it's a fully different thing to me. Yeah. So you like the build to it and you also really love appreciating the artistry of it and just yeah. like, that's an amazing shot and seeing it, but the, the what sequencing leads into leading to that and, yeah, and, yeah, and the, it's, the it's all encompassing. It's no longer just an image. It's a, it's yeah. a story. You know, yeah, it's a full orchestral piece, and I don't mean that musically. I mean that emotionally. Yes, where there are there are stages leading up to it that kind of prime you to have this sweeping moment. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I think that's. I I get that, and and I like that too. I just wish I could see it without knowing it was coming, but that's not possible. But that that kind of flips the coin a little bit in an interesting way, mm-hmm. um, where there are all these there were these great sequences of the movie. Where I was just like, why isn't this talked about? Like, why isn't this considered a classic shot or a classic sequence? You know, and like that's, one of them. That's interesting. Yeah. What What were those scenes for you? The one that stands out to be the strongest, and the others will probably come up through the course of conversation. But the frog sequence in the high school, and and everything so leading good, up to that, dude. I never knew that ET. Uh, and that E.T. and Elliot shared emotions. I Me didn't either. know that E.T. Yeah. was communicating in this way with him. That's something that, That's a st- for whatever reason. I don't reason, know why they don't talk about that story beat, because I found that really, really fascinating cool. in the movie. Yeah, and it's like, oh, there's Steven Spielberg just got away with having a drunk kid in his movie, and it's not <laughs> offensive. You know, it's just, it's really kind of a funny he got, scene. He found the ultimate loophole, a, a, yeah, yes. like a <laughs> telepathic connection. Yeah, or like an empathetic uh, connection or whatever sure. it would be. Whatever you want to call and, it, yeah. And um, so I just was like, this is a really funny scene. And then the way it all spirals out of control with those, the frogs being let loose, and then him dancing with that girl that's mirrored with what E.T. is watching on the old movie. Brilliant editing. Brilliant editing. And like the wind is even coming in and all this stuff. And he gives her the kiss and he's like drunk and then... He walks off and her shoe kind of scuffs, you know, on the, in that way. It's like close up on the shoes with the frogs jumping around. And I was just like, that was such a great fucking scene. It was really funny. I had no idea it was and this movie kind of went there. It was like they had the scene in it. And it was such a refreshing surprise. And it left me scratching my head. I was like, why isn't this considered to be one of the classic scenes of this movie? Because uh, and I'm thankful that it's in some way not because it was a really pleasant surprise yeah, you, for me you got a really cool revelation moment out of it yeah it was, but it just begs the question it's like why this is a great to, to me a great scene and maybe my favorite scene in the movie and i'm just surprised that it's not really referenced much or as far i've, I've never heard anyone hipster. talk about it you gotta pick the scene that no one talks about maybe maybe but it's, it's just the one <laughs> it's the one that i saw clean no, and it, I, it I had totally a really big why. impact like, psychologically you know? I, it's funny to me but like i get i get like why that you reacted that way because you had you probably had the strongest reaction to that moment because you're like oh this is new to me this is really yeah. cool this is a this is a, a, a awesome scene and again it's just bizarre to me that it's not it's not discussed it's a great great scene what did you think of that scene i loved it um i specifically like the the moment you point out of um where he's like where the wind's kicking up through the the door the same way it is in the movie and it's mm-hmm. like framed exactly the same and he like you know does the like kind of twirl and and pulls her in and steps on the the guy <laughs> it's it's just so well staged um, yeah and and I think it's like it's it's a little hint of why Spielberg is so perfectly calibrated to make West Side Story which you need to go see oh that's a nice little kernel. Did you want to get into some of the acting stuff? Is there anything Definitely. you wanted to kind of dive into? Well, I mean, I I genuinely like 
my reaction, and, and I've heard this said by other people, this is by no means a, a new take, but I genuinely think that this is the best child performance I've ever seen, specifically Henry Thomas. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's delivering a level of emotionality and natural, uh, uh, just just pure human moments that like actors 50 years older than him um, struggle to achieve. And, mm-hmm. and like, it, it's, it's a really, I, I couldn't believe that this wasn't nominated for an Oscar because like, you know, people make the argument that like a child performance probably shouldn't be nominated because is a child actually consciously acting? Is that a, is that a craft or is that kind of something that's engineered by a director and a writer, you know, through just, you know, cause there are ways to coax performances out of children. Like it, right. it's a, it's a natural director tendency. So like, I shouldn't say tendency. It's just a way to get a performance, but mm. this to me and, and from all the behind the scenes footage, this is really Henry Thomas acting like this is like, he is giving a performance like Spielberg in the behind the scenes footage is not talking down to this kid. And it blew my mind. The, the, the moments that he was getting out of this kid, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I loved seeing that behind the scenes stuff and seeing how good Spielberg was. I I really like what you said there. He's not talking down to these kids, but he, he is explaining things at a level that is comprehensible to them, yeah. but but they're still complicated ideas. Yes, but he's he's great. And he's at, letting them. He's letting them give a performance. Yeah, he, I think he's speaking the language. He's speaking a kid's language in a non-patronizing way, and you can see he has in he and they. He, you know, he and his actors have intention, and they're discussing it. But it's just, it's kind of cloaked in this interesting, like a uh, child level conversation in terms of the vernacular that's used. Yeah. But it I I was really impressed cuz I have not seen a ton of behind the scenes footage with Spielberg that relates to him working Me with either. his actors closely. I I I want so much more of it, man. Me too. I want to see how he talks to adults more because a lot of the movies that I love of Spielberg's are are the bigger spectacle movies. And the acting is great in them, but the behind the scenes special features are focused on like, wow, how did they make the T-Rex look like that? And what do they do with this? Um, So I would, I agree with you. I'd want to see more of what's he like working with his actors and what's, well, how does he, how does he talk with them? Well, and I just, I, I mean, since we're on the topic of the behind the scenes, I just, I love watching Spielberg set up his shots. Um, Mm. And I don't know if you caught it, but there was a, and, and We'll get back. Uh, well, I mean, maybe we just talk about Spielberg here too. But like, there's some scenes in the behind the scenes footage of Spielberg placing his cameras, setting up his shots, talking to his his you know camera people and and his director of photography, and and being like, you know, let's let's put two cameras here. I want a long lens on this one and and a wide one in here, and let's put one up here. I want to. I, I definitely want like this coverage here. Um, and he's just like, he's fucking clinical, dude. Well, we got a little off track. I, we can get back to Spielberg, but I want to go back to Henry yeah. Thomas. what do you think of his yeah. performance overall? Like what, where were you at on that whole thing? Fantastic. Uh, fantastic. So I, I think that was another thing that I kind of knew about in terms of like the baggage of this movie. I knew that the kids played a really large role and that the performances were very good. I mean, I was impressed with all of them. Henry Thomas as Elliot, Drew Barrymore as Gertie, and Rob McNodder as as Michael. Like, I thought they were all really good. And I normally am like kind of eye-rolly with child actors. I'm kind of like, eh, they're trying, they're doing their thing. But like, I always think of uh, season four of The Wire, which a lot of people love that season. But I have a hard time with some of those uh, performances. And they're, they're kid actors. They're doing their best. They're not terrible, but it's just not the same. Didn't feel that way about this. I thought all of the performances were excellent and some really emotional scenes, specifically by Henry Thomas, like when E.T. is dying um, and he's he's just emoting so well. Really impressive performance by any measure. Super emotional, really well delivered. Um, Really just impressive, honestly. That scene when he says, look at what they've done to you is so just like... That is a kid beyond his years, you know. Yeah. 
That's like, that's someone witnessing like devastation and just like, you know, just like, oh, you're you're absolutely right, man. That like the scene where E.T. is dying. Are are you talking about where like he's like hyperventilating kind of and like. Yeah. And he's all he's all kind of covered with the, uh, you know, the patches from the medical. He's in the tent with E.T. He's on the. and And he's like at one point he's like ripping off. The oh. electron attachment. It's such like, a great him. framing and shot technique where, yeah. where he's doing the dolly in, like kind of like it's like just amplifying his rage. It's such great filmmaking. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And that's actually another scene to go back to. You know, I was talking about the frog scene and how I was like, I didn't know this was in this movie. This is awesome. I felt that way about the E.T. death scene. I had no I had idea that that E.T. No was going to be in that e. situation. Died. Yeah, that was really surprising to me. And again, I had that jealousy like I wish I didn't know that there was more coming because that would have been super shocking to me if I saw that without knowing it still was shocking but I knew that he was going to come back you know well let's get back to Spielberg I we got to we got to yeah, circle definitely. back on him cuz we haven't talked about where this sits in his career so obviously before this he came out of his TV days with his TV movie Duel which I still haven't watched, but I, I that's one that I've considered putting on the board before mm. is uh, Duel, which is like, you know, a movie about a guy in a car getting chased by an un, uh, a faceless trucker in a giant uh, big rig. And, I've always uh, wanted to see that movie, too. Also haven't seen to it. watch it. So, yeah, that's that's a that's a solid contender for the board. But r- going going past that, he did, you know, obviously Jaws. Incredible. Um, well, the Sugarland Express before that, I should say. Um, after Jaws, he goes on to make Close Encounters. After Close Encounters, he goes on to make 1941, which is a huge flop. Um, comes back with Raiders of the Lost Ark. And this is coming off the heels of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And as we mentioned, I think before, uh, you know, it seems like Spielberg was trying to go small from from all the big shit that he had been doing before. Because 1941 was this big budget, you know, huge mm. comedy that was a huge flop. And then uh, Raiders was, you know, a huge budget but uh, a huge success. And I think he was and just kind of probably burned out after all that. And, and it's a big movie too. I mean, Raiders is a global movie. There's traveling around. There's a lot of characters involved. It's it's a big story. So it makes sense that he wanted to kind of shrink it down a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure like all the location shooting and everything, he probably just wanted to make something in LA and make it easy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That that's that's something too I wanted to just mention. Um, I love the setting of this movie, mm. where I was watching I was watching it in the wrong frame of mind the first time, uh, or not the first time, but I'd say the wrong the first, frame of mind. The worst the worst the first quarter of the movie I was like, wait a minute, is this supposed to be L.A.? Like these these trees, these in the forest oh, do not make you're sense. You're thinking too much. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So I was like, I was kind of like being like, is this, is he, are we supposed to believe that they're in LA in the suburbs and then they're, they're walking up into like Northern California over the hill? Like what's happening here? And then I realized over the course of the movie, I was like, oh, this is not supposed to be a specific place. This is a, this is a bit of a fairy tale and it's supposed to be kind of like any town USA yep. and, and you're not supposed to be trying to guess where this is. It's supposed to just be anywhere. And actually in the first viewing, I got this like crazy conspiracy theory where I was like, Oh wait, is he, is he not showing any license plates? Is he going that far with it? And then on second viewing, it's like, nah, there's California plates all over the place. I kind of wish he had, he had just done like a generic America plates or something silly like that. (laughs) Um, What would you have liked to be on the license plate? Just an eagle looking sideways, like something you'd see on a coin, uh, sure. and it would just say America, maybe or I don't six know, Emperor Tyrannus on the bottom. Yeah, six Emperor Tyrannus. <laughs> Death to tyrants. Yeah, yeah. No, no better patriot than than Booth. <laughs> anyway, that's that's the Virginia. Uh, uh, Is that flag. really? Yeah, that's what uh, John Wilkes Booth shouted before he shot Lincoln. Six separate Tyrannus. <laughs> I don't know that I knew that. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure it's on the Virginia flag. I could have that wrong. <laughs> That's that that makes sense. I, I grew mean, it's up not, in Virginia. Out of, so. out of context, it's not a terrible expression, you know. Death to mm-hmm. tyrants. You know, there's some validity there. But um 
but yeah, I was happy to kind of find my own way to that conclusion. And then in the special features after the fact, I heard Steven say like, I wanted this to be like a Norman Rockwell Americana place. I wanted it just to be like any sort of suburb. So it's one of those things you, you have those moments. If you dive into the special features, you know, I like one out of every 10, maybe I'm like, Ooh, I was there with you, Steve. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. You know, so, um, yeah, I just thought that was neat that the, the setting was like a fairy tale town. I, I, I was I couldn't believe how uh, how good E.T. looked. I think I think I thought it was going to look a little not great, but it really works. Did you what? have moments awesome. of like the puppet where you were just like wowed by it? A lot of the scenes of E.T. in movement stuck out to me, which I found out later was was, you know, smaller people, little people in like in the, in a costume. But I think that made me really love it even more was the diversity of, of approaches that they used to achieve these different effects kind of reminded me of a movie that came much later, but Lord of the Rings is famous for using any effect that would fit the right moment and from, from digital to practical and anything in between guy in a suit, whatever. And this kind of felt like it was in that lineage of, Whatever is best for the scene. If it needs to be a guy in a suit, it's going to be a person in a suit. If it needs to be uh, the puppet is doing something, the puppet's doing something. And well, often they're blending you know, too, where like there were times where they're using, you know, a, a real person's arms in puppet, you know, or, or like in stocking, like kind of, uh, uh, I don't even know what you would call it, but, but fake fingers, like ET yeah. fingers that they're manipulating. And then behind them is the puppet. So it's like kind of like all of a piece and it's, it's mm. both the puppet and a real human being. It's crazy. Yeah. They always seem to choose the right, the right approach for each scene. And it always looks really good. Um, I thought that this, the, in terms of like the puppet, the scream in the cornfield when Elliot and ET first met looked great. Well, I was, it looks like an expressive creature. Oh, oh, you're saying the look. I, th- I thought you were yeah. saying the sound, which I do want to circle back to later. Uh, ben mm-hmm. Burt is a fucking genius, but we'll circle back to that. Yeah. But yeah, just that, that the look of ET and his shock of, of bumping into Elliot in the cornfield and they're both like scared of each other um, was a really emotive face. And that was all the puppet, you know, that was not, that was not a suit or any sort of thing like that. And I thought that was when I was, and that's like the first time we really see him up close and it's a very brief shot because it's cut for excitement and just flashlights flying around. But Mm-hmm. Still, uh, it's a great first impression, and that's like I was on board when they were start. Then when all of the ETs were kind of dilly dallying outside the spaceship and harvesting and things like that, I remember thinking like, "Wow, they look that looks really good. They, they, they just look like they're aliens moving in the woods." But that when it got close up on the face in that shot, I was like, "Fuck, it looks great at like all stages." You know what scene really like wowed me at, on a very like subtle level. Um, there's a the scene where Henry Thomas is introducing ET to all his like action figures and he's like showing mm-hmm. him the things on this table which according to the making of doc uh Spielberg basically just told Henry Thomas to just like talk to the puppet and like like interact with all these toys and show him what you like about them which is a really cool way of like getting a performance out of a kid but side tr- side note going back to ET though like the way that the puppet was kind of observing Elliot, showing him all of his things, and it, it it reminded me of like how my dog watches me while I'm like cooking food, mm. and like what like it's just it's an animal that's just like I don't know how to communicate with you, but you're interesting, and and it just it felt so lifelike to me. The way E.T.'s eyes are just kind of tracking Elliot and then tracking what he's doing. And he's and it's just kind of just like, I have no idea what's going on, man, but I'm happy to be here. It's so, well, I and can it's tell all, that you're kind. You know and it's I mean? all being communicated just through the puppet and little m- movements of the eyes. And, and yeah. Dude, I heard they really did that glowing. Like I would have yeah. like I just happened to think like I would have just thought like, oh, that must be. My modern mind, I just thought that was a, a special effect, but it was like a practical special effect, you know? And I was like, that that looked amazing. And even something like the alien is chugging beer at one point, and you see the throat 
like kind of Adam's appling drinking. Yeah. It's like, oh, they had to think so much out about this puppet. You know, they had to have like this conversation of what is everything this puppet needs to do? And they had to execute it all. And they did well, it great. So go, uh, another episode that we did as a test record was a Jurassic Park episode. And, and in that episode, I brought up that the special features of the Jurassic Park DVD show, Spielberg talking about how like, when they were building the puppets for the the Velociraptor, he wanted to make sure that the eyes dilated because it was an effect that he really loved that he had used on E.T. And yeah. I noticed that in in this movie where the eyes dilate and it just gives them such a natural lifelike quality. It adds um, so much. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. I got a hot take. I got a hot take on this one. Give me a hot take. I... Do not think the score is that great. Shut the fuck up. I'm not a huge fan of the score. How can you say that? You're breaking my heart right now. It's uh, it's not bad or anything, but I think it's a little too busy. And there's, it lacks a certain characteristic that I love about a lot of John Williams scores, which is, and you actually just put this upcoming theory to the test by what you just said, but... Um, I don't find it to be very hum- hummable. It doesn't strike me as... Like, it's just not what I'm going to be humming when I walk down the street. That doesn't mean... I've that's been humming not a, it for days, so I don't know what you're talking about. So maybe it's just me. But like I like if I'm walking down the street and I feel like I'm going to charge into that grocery store, I might bust out a... You know, like that's... His, sure. Some of his scores really, I find... Like infectious, a great Jurassic Park is like that too. I think um, this one, and maybe it wasn't at all what he was going for, but for me, this one felt a little bit uh, too busy, and I felt like it had too much going on. Okay, and but I, let's I wasn't let's put this in in proper context. Is this? Are you saying that this is bad for John Williams, or are you saying this is like not great in the scheme of all scores? I'm saying. For John Williams, it didn't hit me nearly as strong. Let's be real. We're talking about the guy who did Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Saving Private Ryan, (laughs) Jaws. Yeah, he's done like some of the greatest. I don't know why I even put Jurassic or like Jurassic Park. You mentioned earlier, like yeah, come on. What? Let me ask you this: What do you think is his most underrated score? Hmm. Because I can go first. Like I, go. I, I think catch, uh, catch me if you can. There's, that score is ba-da, ba-da. super Shh. underrated. That score is fucking awesome. So so good. So good. But I don't know. So what? So to get back to your question, I, I would. I just for me, it didn't work on a John Williams level as much as some of his other stuff. It, it just didn't really strike me as, as his best, but um, that was just my reaction to it. And that is on a John Williams spectrum. You know, yeah, I don't not, know, man. Not I mean, else. like John Williams doesn't fail for me. Like I don't, I don't know if this makes my top three of his, but that's still like, like I'll, I'll put it this way. Like, if I had to make a top 25 scores of all time, he's occupying a solid quarter of that list. Mm. Yeah. That's a good, is this on that part? Is that, is this in that top? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, like that's, that's how good he is. Yeah. So like to say it's like not near the top, it should in no way reflect poorly on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got you. So, so, but you thought it fit the movie. Absolutely. I thought it was brilliant, man. And and actually I read something really interesting. Um, I don't know if this is true. So, you know, this is just me perpetuating a lie. I apologize. But, um, there, I read something where, uh, Spielberg, or maybe I even saw a video of this. I could have this wrong. Either way, Spielberg said that he wanted to, with the the finale, because it's so wordless for the most part, he had John Williams compose the end suite on its own without like not trying to set the music to his cutting. He wanted to cut the scene to John's music. Mm. So he had him compose the music, cut the whole ending sequence according to where he built the crescendos in music. Got you. And like, 
So that's if a true that's story. that's true... That's a true story. Because I heard... I heard uh, yeah, with some slight tweaks, I heard it straight from John Williams in an interview. Okay. He said that because of how long that sequence is, they were having a really hard time getting a take that fit it perfectly. And the movie had been cut, and it was playing... You know, as they normally do for the score. So they're trying to get it right. But like you said, it's like seven minutes of unbroken music. And there were takes where, well, this part was good, but the later part wasn't as strong. And then it was switched or whatever. So to relieve the pressure, Spielberg said, don't do it to the movie. Like, we'll take just just play it as strong as you can play it. And then I'll adjust the editing to fit the score. And John Williams added this like that. That never happens. Like that's that's in, that's in ridiculously rare, and it's so cool that, you know, because there's a whole idea of the artist and their babies. Like, I I wouldn't I wouldn't blame a director at all for being like, no no, this is how it's cut. Yep. The rhythm is a science. I've got it all the way I want it. Like you, I'm sorry, but you have to make the music work for this. But so just the fact that, that he was so generous with it and just being able to be like, no, nah, I'll, I'll tweak it if I have to. And that's that's part of I I think like he's the consummate collaborator. Like mm-hmm. he, he trusts his, the people that he brings around him to amplify his art, which is such a fucking cool thing. And I, I think, you know, it's been really sad, like to watch like a lot of people that were kind of like deified for their tyrannical ways of like, you know, pursuing the perfection of filmmaking, you know? Mm. And like, we've lifted people up that are assholes for, for being assholes. And I think it's so cool that like we just come back around to Spielberg being like the guy who's like, yeah, no, you're great at what you do. Do what you do. Yeah. I'll, I'll do my own thing. Don't worry about it. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. That that's, that is really cool. And I do love, I love hearing all sorts of those types of different types of directors, you know, but when mm-hmm. someone comes in and it's like, they know exactly what they want and they're going to do it. But I also, I think I kind of think it's cooler to the director is kind of like how you were describing is like more collaborative and just maybe goes to the composer and is like, what do you think? Like, You're the composer. Tell me, give, you know, show me what you got and we'll go from there. Could you what imagine I mean? how hard it is to give a composer like John Williams notes? <laughs> he just plays you this beautiful thing. To have what do you the say to fucking him? stones to give notes to John Williams. Well, yeah. And like, how do you, like, it must be harder than speaking to the child actors. Like you have to talk to this musician and you're not a musician. So you have to be like, yeah, I guess you talk in emotions. Like maybe a little sadder here. I, I don't know how directors talk to their composers. That must be a very unique relationship. Because yeah. Like if you think, if you see if you think something's really off that your composer has delivered, yeah. how do you approach that conversation if, without being rude? Like it's crazy. Yeah. Especially because that art form is just so removed from what you do. Yeah, it's so. It's. I mean, there's they're, maybe they're not bedfellows, removed, but they're but like it's, it's. Yeah, it's different. They're 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 like in the same universe, but just barely like they're at like right. opposite ends of it, you know? But, yeah. But yeah, no, that, I that, find that fascinating. Yeah. I do like that too, that he's so collaborative and, uh, and I think his movies seem to be stronger for it due to his, his personality. Well, you know? yeah. But I mean, like you look at it and it's like Spielberg is not a writer director. <laughs> like he's a story guy. Like he'll help facilitate, like he'll come up with a story idea and pass it off to a writer. But like you look at like his collaboration, I mean, just speaking in terms of recent history, his collaborations with Tony Kushner have been just out of control. Good. Mm. Um, you know, is that a writer? Yeah. Tony Kushner. Yeah. So he, he wrote West Side Story and, and Munich and maybe one or two others of, of Spielberg's mm. recent stuff. But um, <clears throat> he uh, yeah, they just apparently have a great working relationship. And it's just like Spielberg kind of like has this vision and then Kushner knows how to like turn it into words, yeah. which is really well, cool. I- Think too, he worked with the Coen brothers on Bridge of Spies, yeah. you know, and they did this, they, they did like the second draft of the script for that, you know. That's also fascinating because it's like two of like the greatest artists of our day being able to collaborate on something and yeah. work, work like, you know, that I, I think that's really unselfish that they're both able to do, like both groups are able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That is because you'd think they're both used to being, I don't mean alphas in the, in like, in like a negative way. I just mean like it's their project generally um so their vision is the one that is takes the lead so for for people to be in these positions where steven's like i guess i have to advise the cohen brothers on what to do and the cohen's are being like i guess we have to yield to what steven wants because it's his picture like 
those are all just difficult waters to lead. You know, I bet we all have like there's there's musicians that I would I would daydream about. Like, what if they collaborated on a song together? These two people that like came up around the same time. But it, I, I always come back to the thought like it probably wouldn't work because they're both traditionally the leads of their bands or whatever. And it's like mm-hmm. I feel the same way about movies. It's like when someone is used to always getting final say to a degree or final cut, like how do you go about having a relationship? And like, I don't know. It's just crazy. Have crazy, you seen um, have you seen A.I.? No, I haven't. There's a there's a there's a Spielberg I haven't that's, seen. That's an interesting experiment in a similar uh, but adjacent situation where Stan that was Stanley Kubrick's project, but basically AI is Steven Spielberg making a Stanley Kubrick movie, mm. and it's really fascinating to watch when you understand the context of how that movie gestated and, and became what it is. Yeah, because um, I heard that. It it's was, a very cold. It's by far the most cold Spielberg movie ever made. Is that Robin Williams? No, no. What am I th- <laughs> you, my friend, are making one of the funniest connections I've heard in a long time, which is AI to Bicentennial Man. That's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is a Chris Columbus disaster of a movie. <laughs> Maybe AI is better than I would have thought because I think I've already. I've always lumped it together with Bicentennial Man. <laughs> like I watched it and I was like, hard to believe Kubrick was going to be involved in this. <laughs> no wonder why he's no wonder why he checked out. <laughs> Just kidding. So the 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 plan it was originally, and again, this classic dartboard movie night tangent, but. Wasn't it originally that Kubrick was going to direct and Spielberg was going to produce something like that? They were going to work together, right? Yeah. No, Spielberg definitely helped him with the development of it mm-hmm. um, on some level. I think I, I want to say like Kubrick at one point was like, hey, can you like take a pass at this? Like, like just help me with the story here. I, I'm not sure if I'm there yet because yeah. um, they were they were pen pals. They like they would write back and forth all the time. And yeah. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, apparently like still Steven was like really broken up, like tor- like when he, he passed, right. um, and was like, this is like my mission to make this movie like for Stanley. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, I mean the movie is like tonally fascinating because of the fact that it's like so much of Kubrick's DNA mixed with Spielberg's filmmaking style. Mm. Do you think it works? Listen, it's a movie that has aged better as I've thought about it. I don't love the experience of watching it. Um, It's a very, like I said, it's a cold movie. And it's like, it's a movie that doesn't, like if you go in expecting a Spielberg movie, you're going to have a bad time. Mm. Interesting. Um, But it's, I might watch that one on my own. It's interesting. It's yeah, very, very interesting. And I'm I curious. Think, I think that movie elevates a lot when you read some really interesting, like, like, I think that's a movie that benefits from actually hearing other people's takes on it mm-hmm. and hearing how they've broken it apart. Because I think it's a movie that first viewing, you're just like, it's dense, man. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell is this sort of thing? Maybe it's, the last like 20 minutes of that movie are absolutely perplexing. Hmm. <laughs> Well, I'm 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 definitely intrigued. Um, I guess in terms of in terms of ET, I think are we heading into wrap up stretch? Is there anything I think else so. you want I mean, to do? Hit? We want to like do any last notes? Did you have anything you wanted to touch on? I'm, I might have a couple. I think we hit all the big subjects I wanted to. Um, I did want to say I I think this is again like I really appreciate setups and payoffs, and this is a movie that like devours setups and payoffs throughout. So like where there's an element that's placed early in the movie that always circles back, you know, yeah. the bike, the, the gang of bike kids and like the, the, um, something as small as like Michael backing his mom's car down the driveway. And then he like, yeah, he, that's how he knows how to drive to like get them out of there. And he's like, I've never driven forward before. It's like, it's, it's, it all circles back. Yeah. It's like every little element. And even things like uh, the finger is where they relate source of pain from the cut on his finger. And then it's like that's how they explain emotional pain as well. And that's also how they communicate that. So you're right. The whole movie is chock full of, you know, 
guns and shots, so to speak. Yeah. It's like, um, you don't even know that he's setting things up and then they come back and you're like, Oh, it's beautiful. It's, it's, yeah, it's a poem. That works. It rhymes. Oh, I, I did love all the star Wars shout outs. Like the, it's so the funny that that's happening like five years after the first movie came out. Yeah. And it's just, cause obviously it's like us referencing Mad Max Fury Road, but even less distance between. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's cause they're good friends or something, you know, like, you know, George Lucas and Spielberg go way back. And so they're probably, you know, I don't know like, if you yeah. saw this, but apparently Spielberg told Lucas that there was a, like a reference to, to like that there was something that he was going to like in the movie. <laughs> and like that was a surprise to him when he saw it the first time. Oh, that's that's awesome. And also it was a surprise that John Williams layers in Yoda's theme into the music at that point. Mm. That I didn't catch that. That's cool. And I actually didn't catch until they said it in the special features that the gag was that E.T. recognized the Yoda costume and thought it was Yoda. And the, the joke there is that E.T. knows Yoda because they're both from space. I didn't I didn't catch that in when I saw it, but I really liked just the way that adults are portrayed as like a violating force in this movie. Mm. Um, like, did, how did you feel about the the astronauts? <laughs> like, oh, I didn't care for that. Really. You didn't like it? See, yeah. I loved that because that to me is like him embracing that this is a kid's movie and that's how this kid is seeing these things like kind mm. of like coming, like invading his space. Also wanted to note in that scene the scene where D Wallace like is like protecting the kids and backs away from the astronaut exact same shot as in Jurassic Park with Ellie Sattler and, and Neil, uh, Sam Neil, uh, or I just use the actor and the characters, uh, <laughs> Laura Dern and Sam Neil protecting the kids backing away from the velociraptor. I felt like the, one of these scenes where she's carrying the kid looked like a scene in, in Jurassic Park two when he's carrying Tim. Yeah. I've seen a lot of that, but I, yeah, but the astronauts came in and I was like, okay, I get it. Like, this isn't necessarily reality here, but it was a pretty jarring departure from, um, what, what I didn't think was like, I don't know. It just, it felt a little clunky and it's like, does it have to be a straight up NASA space suit? Like, I think it would, it was I would a have little liked, over the top. I'm with you. Yeah. I was just kind of like, I wish it was just like, uh, a kind of content containment suit or whatever you'd call yeah, it. That's fair. Had that looked spacey, but, yeah. but so for me, it didn't really work, but it wasn't a crime. I kind know? of read it as you're, you're like in the experience at that point. And you're like, no, I think that's, what is I think this that's weird fair, thing that shouldn't be here. That's here now. You know, I don't think he's suggesting that, that government officials are going to show up at this house dressed as spacemen, full blown <laughs> spa astronauts, you know? So I think you're right. I think it's intended to be like a glimpse into a child mind or whatever, but for me, it didn't really work. I think we, I think we can call it from there, man. I think I fucking love ET. I'm gonna watch this for the rest of my life. I'm sad that I missed out on 33 years of of ET in my life, but uh, happy to have him now. And and yeah, I'm, I think you feel uh, close, if not quite, all the way to my level of passion. Um, and I think that's entirely fair. Yep. I think for me, it exceeded my expectations. I may have mentioned last week, I thought it was going to be kind of cheesy. I thought yeah. it was one of those, it was like, why? I don't need to see it. I saw the moon. I know the moon thing, whatever. It flies. Yeah. Got it. I and it was better than I thought. I seen the moon. What, I, what are you going to tell me about the moon? I know. Um, but I, yeah, I just was like, God, this is a really good movie. I understand why it was so impactful to people. Really glad I saw it. Really enjoyed it. Um, and it's definitely a movie I'd like to see again. And we'll probably want to share with like, my nephews in the future and things like that. Like it's just a good all ages movie. I know that's kind of a cliche to say, I guess but it's one, true. Yeah. One wrap up question I have is like, how do you think this will like age? Cause to me, this movie feels great pretty timeless. Great. Yeah. I think, I think it'll age super well because I mean, I saw it now. This is it's been 40 years, 40 years. So that's insane. Yeah. 40 years. And it could have come out recently. Like it felt, um, it felt really fresh. I'm really glad we hit on this. I'm glad that we hit it when we did. I'm glad it wasn't the first movie, but I'm also glad we didn't have to wait too long because, man, I had just a delightful time with this movie. Yeah, awesome choice. All right, well, shall we get to our next choice? Yeah. Like so what's seven, going up on the board in its place? That's a that's great That's my that's choice, I guess, right? I'm asking myself that. What do you got for contenders? I'm curious. 
man, this is tough. I don't know. Where do I want to go with this? I, I always shoot from the hip on this and I probably should put more thought. No, I, into I think, I think the hip is good because you're not, Yeah, but I need to build out a longer list. So I have more of a, more of an arsenal to, to pull from my hip, I guess. We could do oh. a Ken Burns narration with Peter Coyote. Get man. something into it. All right. So we've been talking about Paul Thomas Anderson lately. We have indeed. I recently read a list <clears throat> where Paul Thomas Anderson broke down a lot of movies that inspire him. And one of the movies that he put on there is an oldie that I know a whole lot of nothing about. It's called Bad Day at Black Rock. Ooh, I don't think and I've it's heard a name that. that just it just sings to me, man. Mm. When when did it come out? So it's from 1955. Stars Spencer Tracy and Robert Ryan. It's directed by John Sturgis. Hell yeah. I'm down. Dude, that sounds cool. I don't, I don't know anything about it. I'm going in fresh as lettuce. I'm excited. A one-armed stranger comes to a tiny town possessing a terrible past they want to keep secret by violent means if necessary. Fuck yeah, that sounds really cool. Let's do it. Bad that day at Blackrock. Really cool. Going up on the board at number seven. Well, I guess that means we need to recap the current board. Let's talk about where we're sitting with these movies right now. Let's do it. At number one, we've got Aaron Brockovich. At number two, we've got Ex Machina. Number three, Seven Samurai. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, In the Mood for Love. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Number seven, Bad Day at Black Rock. Number eight, Alan Partridge. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, Bound. Number 11, Vertigo. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, The Exterminating Angel. Still don't know what the fuck that is. Number 15, Barton Fink. Number 16, Putney Swope, number 17, Mother from 2009. Let's be very clear, not Mother, lowercase with the exclamation point. Number 18, Ch Killing of Chinese Bookie. Number 19, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Number 20, The Ballad of Cable Hogue. And as always, The Bullseye is our friend's choice. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, I'm going to toss this thing then. Let's see Do what it. we're watching. Right, I'll be back. The dart has spoken. And what has the dart said? The dart says three. Number three. We are going back in the day, my friend, to Akira Kurosawa's masterpiece, Seven Samurai. Oh, man, am I excited. Okay. It's I've never seen a Kurosawa movie. I'm just warning, I'm, I'm warning you up front. That's fine. I, I've, I've always wanted to see a Kurosawa movie. Still haven't seen Yojimbo. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about our, our stuff next week. But Son of a bitch. Now I have to wait till after I see Seven Samurai. No, now you have to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just, <laughs> it's come it this far. It is decided. It is decided. I'm excited, dude. Seven <laughs> Samurai next week. Yeah, man. Uh, I'll be excited to see how I feel about it. Man, we are going with a lot of Drew picks recently. I got that's three say. in a row, we got, right? We gotta we gotta hit some Jared picks pretty soon. The odds are hot. Your 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 nominee list is starting uh, to get tapped. Man, if I were at the craps table right now, there'd be some <laughs> some Texas oil man and a Chinese like businessman across the table from me throwing money on me. I might I might start I might start aiming. I might really start. I really want to see the exterminating angel. Otherwise, that was what the <laughs> fuck is that? 14, baby. I'm, I'm aiming for 14 <laughs> next week. known as what the fuck is that? <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I'm, man. Next week, I'm going to probably be just, I'm going to aim for evens now and just get <laughs> odds for the rest of it. I'm going to have you start throwing it soon. Yeah. I, please tell me how you aim at odds. Yeah. <laughs> that's aim like, at evens, rather. I still am so unfamiliar with, with the dartboard. So I throw it. I hit the three and I walk up. And it's like, but it's right next to a 19. That's another odd number. I, I have no idea how dartboards work. They're right in front of my face. I can't figure them out. Well, I, you know what? The dartboard works in mysterious ways. The dart is spoken. I'm sure I'll have a hot streak soon enough. It, you know, it's going to happen. Uh, but for now, it's Akira Kurosawa, Seven Samurai. And on the note of E.T., Good night, everyone. Uh, please listen to John Williams' score as you go to bed and just be swept off into a beautiful place. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or if you have a bullseye selection you want to send our way, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. 
If it's for the bullseye, make sure you use subject line bullseye confidential. Follow us on Instagram at dartboard movie night. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. When you and I were at the uh, at Niagara Falls, we took that elevator down. We were on the New York side of Niagara Falls, and we got down to like the the water level, and we walked out of the elevator, and we were some of the first to emerge from the elevator. And there's an extreme temperature change from the top down to the bottom, and I was like, "Holy shit, it's cold!" And then I just hear behind me, just like frogs in summertime, popping off one after another, like it's cold, 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 cold. cold. <laughs> Cold. It's like so. I am just one of like a billion assholes who has said that when they step off the elevator. <laughs>